Last time we stopped chapter 1, we stopped at verse uh, 9. Basically when the Lord appeared to, to John, the beloved, uh, and Patmos, and we started, you know, talking about the revelation, and how can we also benefit from that. So, verse 9, I, John, who also am brother and companion in the affliction and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, John, he declares himself as the, the one who, you know, delivers the message because it has to be known, especially revelations, and prophecies, we have to know who is the source of that revelation and prophecy. We can trace that back. And once we know that this person's prophecies are correct, then, you know, we start believing the other prophecies that the same person delivers and we start believing them. So instead of just having, you know, vague prophecies coming in, no source, once you know the source, first you can trace that for authenticity. And then the new prophecies that this person will bring in, we can believe that as well and know what he's trying to tell us later on. Uh, we also talked about being, you know, companion in affliction. Uh, any, anyone uh, who's, who's going to follow Christ will have to get ready for afflictions and for suffering. Uh, might be scary, it may sound awful at the beginning, and we may hesitate, and the devil make sure that we think about this more than once just to scare us and not let us follow Christ but at the same time look at the reward when St. John went through this affliction, went through troubles, went through the suffering, he was rewarded by seeing Christ himself in his glory and seeing uh, all the events that are going to happen until the end of the world the other thing that uh, we need to remember St. John didn't see this prophet, didn't see this vision when he was in the middle of the world he didn't see it when he was in the middle you know, of his people or the middle of the church. Uh, he saw this vision when he was by himself due to the fact that he was exiled, but he still he was by himself meditating and praying. And we remember that when Moses was living in Egypt, uh, he was still occupied by God's people, occupied by God's main purpose of freeing you know, the people of Israel, but he was still not ready to receive God yet. And God had to take Moses away from the world, isolate him in the Sinai desert for 40 years. So he's ready to see God and to receive the message of God. You see the same thing. When Elijah was running away in the desert for 40 days, he also spent 40 days in the desert fasting before he saw God. And we see all the great you know, prophets and people, before they saw God or before they saw major revelations or managed to meet the Lord Himself, they were isolated, they were in by themselves, same thing St. Paul was in the desert for three years to receive God's Word, which tells us that we need our own private time with God. We're not going to hear God in the middle of, you know, Route 1 or you know, Route 18, you know, standing in the middle of there and trying to see Him. We're going to hear Him in the quiet place of our, you know, rooms, not with the TV, not with the stereo on, you know, but being quiet and trying to listen to pray and listen to him and he's going to reveal himself to us. Uh, 
of course, at different levels. Uh, hopefully, one of these days we'll manage to see him at these great uh, apostles saw him, great saints. Right? So that's something else that we need to think about. So I came in the spirit in the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. And I think we touched this last time that the Lord's day is Sunday. And the question was, what do we do on Sunday? You guys are all here, which is great. But in general, how do people treat Sunday these days? It used to be a holiday, uh, a day of rest, a day of, you know, no trading, no selling and buying and no none of these things. And now it became just a normal day you know we use it to do our shopping and to do everything we want not a day for prayer and day for meditation uh, and uh, here we also see that the voice God's voice is coming in from behind him and then he's going to turn around and see him it's also a gradual vision it's not all of the sudden that he's surprised and he saw God all you know all of a sudden in front of him but first he heard a voice and then he turned around and then he saw God in his glory. So that also God slowly preparing him to see this vision. So here Christ himself is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. We said that Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet, which means that all the wisdom, all the speech, everything that we can express the Father with is expressed in uh, Jesus Christ and the first and the last is the beginning of creation and he's the end he is the the source of everything and he's the one who's going to conclude the whole world and he's going to judge everyone also what you see write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamos to Theatra and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea what you see, write. So this is an actual vision that St. John saw and he, by orders of Jesus Christ himself, he wrote what he saw. This is not his sort of, you know, predictions or imagination. No, he saw these events and he heard these words exactly and he copied to them. That's why from the beginning he said, Blessed those who read and understand. This prophecy? Is this what he said in the beginning? Yes. And few cookies come on. With drinks. Blessed those who who hear and read the prop the, the words of this prophecy. Not to understand. We're not gonna understand everything in this prophecy. Okay, so sorry to disappoint you from now. We're not gonna be able to understand everything in this prophecy, but whether we understand it or not, still these are God's words, and God's words by themselves cleanse us and make us holy. Okay. So this is, now we come to one of the important parts, which is the description of Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, there was some kind of assignments I wanted to do for the, for the group. We needed some volunteers to start taking notes and separate what we say about uh, the the relationship between what we read in Revelation and what we do in the church, and especially in the liturgy, uh, the 
promises, nice promises we hear, you know, and comforting promises we hear from God. Also, the things we talk about and relate to the dogma and fight heresies with and verses and so on. So there's a lot of things that we can do with this, you know, uh, book. So we're going to need volunteers to start taking these notes. So any, any volunteers? Anybody's going to try to do something? Maybe I had a tenant you. Just think about it. So I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. It's a gradual revelation to see God, uh, because you know if he see him all of a sudden, he's not going to be able to tolerate that. And even when he saw him in this gradual way, he was not able to tolerate that vision. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and tied around the breast with a golden band. So if we looked a little bit earlier ahead in verse 20, we're going to find that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And when he saw Christ, he couldn't describe him. One thing he said is, like the Son of Man. If you notice, the Son of Man was a name that Christ was happy to be called the Son of Man a lot, and he called himself the Son of Man a lot. If you go back to the you know Gospel of St. John and so on, you're going to find that Christ called himself always the Son of Man, though he's you know the Son of God. But when he incarnated, he, because he loves us, he loves humanity, he was not ashamed to call himself the Son of Man. But he, when St. John saw him, he's not like a normal human being. And later on, we're going to see in chapter 4, when he saw him sitting on his throne, and he started, you know, describing him, he couldn't describe anything. And, you know, if we take a sneak preview, and jump to chapter 4, And immediately I became in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. Not even like the Son of Man, no, one, one. How does this one look like? Well, he doesn't know. Like jasper, stone, and a sardis, and a rainbow was around the throne. Does that describe any human being? Does he said that he's, you know face looks this way or his shoulders look that way or he was wearing this no he couldn't even describe that so that the first vision that he saw he saw in chapter one was one way that christ exposed himself revealed himself to john and that's not all god's glory and that's why for example in the liturgy when abuna is praying for the holy spirit to descend and convert the bread and the wine into the you know body and blood of jesus christ the deacon, you know, shouts and says, bow down in fear and tremble. And then at the end, when after the diffraction, uh, when Abuna is, you know, uh, blessing the, the body with the blood and the, you know, the, the blood, with, you know, puts it in the chalice, we all at the end bow down in the confession because we are not worthy to see the glory of God. And it's out of His mercy that He doesn't show us His glory. But if we don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Same way, St. John saw Christ 
in chapter 1, one level of glory that what can St. John take. And then later on when he was again in the spirit in chapter 4, he was able to see more, so God revealed to him more. We are still cannot see even the first layer of God's glory. And that's why he doesn't reveal himself to us. Hopefully, one of these days we'll be able to see God's glory. And God's willing, when we end up to be in heaven, we'll be able to see all his glory. Because he's going to let us grow. And that's what we're going to spend for eternity. We're not going to be able to understand God all of the sudden once we go up to heaven and the second coming comes and we end up to be in heaven. We're not going to be able to understand God all of the sudden because we are so confined and you know so little. So little bit by little bit, we're going to be able to understand a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And that's going to take us infinity. That's eternity. That's what we're going to be doing all eternity Appreciating God, understanding His glory, understanding who God is. Sure. Crazy voice, position. Is there a. What I always hear about the saints that they reach to that level of holiness and the, you know, the level of the prayers and the relationship with God until they get to a point where they can see things and sometimes see Christ. Now, is there a. Like, is there a level in between since we are all centers and. What do you mean level in between? Between like, us and between them that see Christ and see visions and so on? see Christ, but at least... Like when, when David was praying in the south, he was saying, the light in my eyes. Like, to start like feeling things or like feeling the glory of God or sensing the glory of God. Not necessarily, not necessarily seeing more. This is, this is what we're supposed to be struggling for all of our life here. And what happens is that we know that God is there. We know God is trying to talk to us. As we're going to see later on, He's trying to reach us, even if we, you know, you know, forget about Him and we, you know, forsake the first love and, and so on. The issue is that we, our eyes, our senses, and our mind are so occupied with other things that we can't calm it down. We can't take these, you know. Uh, what they call cloth, that's what sent, you know, Paul said in the Hebrews, that, you know, like the Jews, they still have a thick cloth on their face, they cannot see God and they cannot see His glory. Unfortunately, we put mud on our eyes, we put this, you know, like hagab on our face so that we don't see God because of our, you know, we're all occupied with multiple things. Our senses is overwhelmed with what the Word is offering us and they cannot receive that. And that's what I was talking about earlier, that all these great prophets and great saints, they managed, you know, to reach that by isolating themselves from the world. And that's why we need our special time, our meditations, our isolation from the world, so we can start appreciating what God is and what God tells us. Otherwise, we're going to be completely overwhelmed, occupied, and our senses are not going to be able to see him or hear him. And we go through that, you know, you know, peaks and valleys all, all of our lives. And some, hopefully the peaks, you know, and the valleys, when, you know, go down, it's not as low as before. And hopefully when we go up, we go more than we went up before. But these peaks and valleys come because of, you know, we get so busy with our, you know, our normal life, and we forget about it. 
those saints that reach that level, they dedicated all their life to him. So there is no other occupation to their mind and to their senses except Christ. I mean, look at what St. Paul said. I capture every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. This is one that he doesn't think, you know, he doesn't spend any time thinking about anything else other than Christ. This doesn't come overnight. He spent three years in the desert doing nothing but praying and meditating and studying. And that's why St. Paul is St. Paul. So if we can do that, great. If we can, at least we dedicate some time in our day trying to listen to God, trying to pray, thinking about Him, meditating about His glory, about His, you know, His gifts to us, about His relationship to us. And maybe that's what's going to reveal, you know, let Him reveal Himself to us. Because again, God is the one who reveals Himself. It's not us that go and are reach a certain level that we can see no matter where we reach if he doesn't reveal himself to us by his will we will not be able to see so golden lampstands for one reason the lampstands represent the churches and the lampstands are golden because the church is heavenly if you go back from the old testament the gold always represented heavenly issues and heavenly matters. So, for example, the, when they wanted to describe the incarnation the Ark of Covenant, they made it of wood, represents the humanity, and they covered it with gold, represents the, you know, the divinity of Christ. So always the golden things represents the divine or the spiritual or heavenly things. So as a church, we're heavenly. All of us are citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of earth or United States or Egypt or whatever. We are citizens of heaven. So that's why we are golden. And Abuna wears, when Abuna wears his clothes, there's a lot of golden colors and golden trims on his clothes as well. And in the midst, it reminds us that Christ is always in the middle of the church. No matter what we feel, no matter what the circumstances outside. I'm sure he was in Alexandria when the, you know these people were surrounding the church and screaming and yelling. I'm sure he was there with the priests and the people who were inside. They didn't see him, but he was there. Because here, as we can see, and as we're going to find out the state of these churches, a lot of these churches first, spiritually... Some of them were in very bad shape, and if not, majority were persecuted and were in you know deep trouble. And he was he's still saying, "I'm in the midst." So, wait a minute. If God is in the midst of His church, why are we seeing all these trouble? And why we're going to see later on these churches are being persecuted and you know uh, and falling into problems, and a lot of them are going to be killed and so on. Remember what God, what God promised? In the word you will have tribulations. But I overcame, you know, overcame the word. Right? 
So even if there is tribulations, God allows these tribulations for our benefit. Whether we understand or not, we don't know. We can't comprehend what tribulations are going to do to us, whether it's on the church level or on the personal level. In my my personal life, I may go through tribulations. I may go through problems. You know, somebody in my family gets sick. I get sick. I, I fail in something. I get fired. You know, all these problems ha- can happen to me for a purpose. If I am giving all my life to God and I'm letting Him be the leader of my life, I can still get into troubles. And the devil is going to come and tell you, see, you think this is God's way? No, no, you're not following God's and you cannot do it. So you might as well give up and come walk with me. I have an easy way to get you to where you want. So that's what's always going to happen. We're always going to be in tribulations, but we have always to trust that God is in the midst of the churches, whether we see it or not. Because us, who need the glasses to see whether God is in there or not. Again, one like the Son of Man. Uh, God likes us, and He attributes himself to us and again later on at the end of the book of Revelation God gives us you know life and we get there we're going to see that uh, even Jerusalem he said where God lives with his people because it's important not that people live with God no God is going to live with his people because he wants to attribute him you know or he wants to define himself as his ours not the other way around because he loves us so much and that's why, for example, in the Christian cultures, the American, European, and so on, when a woman gets married to a man, she gives up herself and she's called after him. Because of the love relationship between them, she wants to be called after him. Right? Not just because she belongs to him, no, she wants to be called like he is. Right. So... This vision is very similar to other visions in the Old Testament. And as we said in the first time, we're going to find that this prophecy, this book of Revelation, ties all the Old Testament and the New Testament together. We have prophecies and we have concepts and ideas are exactly the same as in you know, all the old prophecies and from you know, Genesis on. So, which means that the whole Bible is written by one Creator, one God, which is the Holy Spirit, who wrote through the writers of the Old Testament and New Testament. Go back to Ezekiel 1:26. Make this focus a little better, so you guys don't need glasses and charge me for it. Uh, Ezekiel 1:26. And from above, uh, the expanse, the heaven, yani, that was over their heads, was a likeness like a sapphire stone, the likeness of a throne. And on the likeness of the throne was a likeness looking like a man on it from above. Likeness, like, like. Because he cannot really describe it. It's not really a throne because God doesn't sit on a throne. He's not really a man because he's unlimited. But this is how he, God chose to express himself to us. And as you can see, we're going to start getting into precious stones and, you know, sapphire and, you know, emerald and all these things which... I personally haven't seen before, so I was talking to some of the you know, people here that maybe we should plan on a trip to the Museum of Natural uh, Science or Natural History, so 
You can go there and look at the, the stones and get a first-hand experience of what these stones look like. So when we later read them, you know, read them and try to explain them, we would, can relate what we see or what we saw and you know what we will see to what we know. Something similar in the book of Daniel, and Daniel actually is uh, another wonderful book. There's a lot of prophecies there, a lot of uh, very strong. Uh, a relationship to God, very strong, strong faith, uh, and he saw multiple visions. One of them, he said, "I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man okay. came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him." And of course, every you know all the fathers who explained this part, they said that you know, and they brought him near before him. This represents or this stands for the sacrifice and for the crucifixion of you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. You also go back to the book of Daniel and when you remember the three young men were thrown into the furnace of fire, what did people see? What did King Nebuchadnezzar say? Like the Son of gods, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is saying uh, he answered and said, Behold, I see four men loose walking in the middle of the fire, and there is no harm among them, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Okay. So, again, God, out of his humbleness, he is showing himself as the Son of Man, but his glory is more than one key we can comprehend. Long garment, again, Abuna wears a long garment, represents the priesthood. And Christ is our archpriest, and the golden band around his breast. That's a sign of judges, and also they say that this means the sign that will bring us close to his chest and his heart, bring us close to him. Yes, sir. The fourth one? A lot of the times, in the Old Testament, the Christ is called, when Christ appeared, he's called an angel. For example, you know, Samson's father, Gideon, uh, Jacob. All these people, when they saw, you know, the angel of God, right? this, when you read carefully and you read, read, you know, the interpretation of the fathers, that's Christ. For example, during, you know, when you know, the angel appeared to Gideon, Gideon offered him a sacrifice and he accepted it. When, you know, uh, you know, Manun, which, you know, Samson's father offered him a sacrifice, he also accepted that. And an angel will not accept a sacrifice. And we're going to see later on here, you know, in chapter 4 and you know, chapter 5, when uh, St. John tried to prostrate to one of the angels, they tell him, no, we're, you know, we're, don't prostrate to us, only, you know, to God. So the angels don't accept worship, don't accept sacrifice, and so on. And this angel appeared in the Old Testament, did accept sacrifices, did accept worship, and he gave the blessings. And then, you know, you read the words carefully. And he said, God said later on, you know, it starts by like an angel of the Lord appeared, and then later on, God said. Okay. So Christ appeared a lot in the Old Testament. Yeah. Right. Daniel, when he saw the vision, he saw 
very similar vision, but he saw that Christ had the band around his waist. Because at that time, he was ready to come down on earth and do the work of salvation and ready for this act. So he was wearing the band around his waist. Here, Daniel 10.5, And I, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man was clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Afaz. So, again, where the, the where he was girded depends on the stage. Before the incarnation, it was at the loins because Christ is ready to act and come down and save us. After the incarnation, when he's ready to come back again to judge the world, he's wearing it as a judge. He's wearing it, wearing us close to his chest, bringing us close to himself because of his love and his care for us. Verse 14, His head and hair were like white, like snow, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. By the way, we did the same study, you know, Revelation with the high schoolers, but, you know, the high schoolers, they need more fun, need more interaction. I made them draw the picture of Christ, how they, you know, how this chapter is describing. That's one of the drawings there on the side. Okay. Of course, it's hard to imagine these things and put it together as one real, you know, because not, we're going to see later on that his, you know, tongue is like a double-edged sword. So how can I describe that? How can real human look like this? Again, all these are, all the descriptions in Revelation are symbolic. Again, we're using earthly words to express the heavenly. That's why Isaiah, you know, Ezekiel was saying like, 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 like. Because it's not really that way. Head and hair, like wool, white as snow. That represents the the age. If you want to describe Christ, as you know, Christ died on earth when he was, what, 30s? 33 and a half, you know, uh, that's around the age that he was crucified in. So when St. John saw him, he saw him, you know, with hair white. That's not because he, he got old in the last, you know, in those 60 years. No, because that, again, a symbol of his eternal existence, and he is there from eternity. And also represents the virtue and he's holy and he's pure no darkness, no blemish in him also the hair and the beard you know, that represent, represents us attached to Christ it's one of the symbols of the you know, the, the hair and the beard and we read in the in the psalm in the, as we pray at night it's like a precious ointment on the head that ran down on the beard Aaron's beard that went down to the mouth of his garment so we are like the beard we are like Christ's beard attached to him close to him and those who are close to him and attached to him are pure and white eyes like a flame of fire This can be taken in two ways. If I'm good, if I'm pure, 
when God looks at me with his you know eyes like flame of fire he's going to cleanse me and if there's any you know impurities he's going to burn it out what do we do with the gold and the silver and the precious metal that we excavate from the mountains don't just take them and sell them they take them and they put them in the fire to burn all the you know impurities in them and pure them purify them and make them pure so Christ you know fire eyes to me would purify me and make me holy and make me be able to come close to him however if I don't like God if my ways is completely opposing to him and I, you know my life is full of hay and you know wood and earthly stuff guess what this fire is going to do to me it's going to burn me first I'm not going to like seeing it I'm going to be scared of seeing that fiery face a strong faith face and then as you know this fire is going to burn me we all hear stories about people like Amba Brahm and Baba Krollos and all these holy saints they're very gentle very nice people see them look at their faces you know they enjoy that face they enjoy that you know look but when somebody is possessed with an evil spirit or whatever and they see them they get so mad and they get so upset and they see fire coming of their eyes and run away so this is these are the human this you know the saintly people that lived among us how about Christ himself how strong his eyes and how strong his look is and his feet were like burnished brass having been fired in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters burnished brass the strength and power of you know his feet he was in you know stumps on whatever in his face you know in front of him but also the fire mixed with the brass fiery brass it also represents the incarnation his divinity with humanity two feet you know because the also the father said that this is represents the two testaments the old and the new testament that's how christ approach us and come close to us voice like the sound of many waters a lot of you know interpretations for that one a lot of meditations on that one some say that this is like uh, basically uh, because we are all united in Christ then the sounds of many nations come out from his from him like you know the sound of many waters and also his word comes to us as uh, live and gives us life so that's like the water that comes in and gives us life as well Verse 16, And he had seven stars in his right hand, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in his strength. The seven stars are the seven bishops. So even later on we're going to see their imperfection. God still sees us as stars, as shining to the world. That's our job is to shine to the world. You are the light of the world. Uh, some interpretations or translations will put them as planets instead of stars because the planet reflects God's the sun's you know uh, light 
That's why we see it bright. So for example, the moon. The moon doesn't have light of its own. It reflects the sun's light. And that's why the church is presented by the moon and Christ is the sun. Okay? And that's why, for, you know, Tazbakh al the shams, the the sun to for the rule of the day, and the the moon and the stars. So it's the moon and planets rule the night with the church and the saints, to, you know, to guide us through our darkness uh, and life. I don't know why it keeps coming down to this verse. Too sharp uh, a sword. Uh, when a sharp two-edged sword that's the word of God and the word of God is like two-edged sword why? one edge cleanses, one edge purifies and the other edge condemns and if you notice the reading the gospel reading on the last today and last Sunday were both on the parable of the sower one is talking about the you know the you know the word of God and how wonderful it is and how you know cleansing it is and today's gospel if you read the Poland epistle and you know you tie it all together it talks about the you know especially the Poland epistle we were given the word of God but if we don't bring fruits that's basically this land deserve nothing but to be burned down and recultivated so that's the word of God whether we like it or not the word of God is spread and given to us so we either use it to cleanse us we follow it or if we ignore it it's going to become for our condemnation it's going to make us uh, you know uh, regret that and as you know when people hear God's words and God's commandment when the life is full of sin the word of God becomes very hard for them and it's not you know they don't accept it that well and that easy his face was like the sun shining in its strength Again, we all say that Christ is the son of our life. That's why we always pray to the east because again, he's gonna, we, you know, he's gonna come back from the east as the sun rising uh, to us. So we always face the east in our prayers. And the sun, no living creature, or almost all living creatures, need the sun to live. We all need to God to live, whether spiritually or physically or any other way. St. Paul talks about the Word of God as two-edged sword in Hebrew 4.12 For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing part of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow and it is the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this is the power of the Word of God. So this vision can be one or two things. It can be a wonderful, glorious vision, or it can be a scary, horrible vision. It will all depend on me and my spiritual status. It's like a policeman right, walking in the street, or a police car walking in the street in the middle of night. If I'm a good person, and I'm in trouble, I'm going to see this police car as coming in as a rescue. Right? If I'm a thief, and I see a police car, I'm going to say, oops, this is the disaster. So my state 
the policeman is the policeman. He did not change. It's my state that made me perceive this in different ways. Again, it's the same thing. Christ is going to be coming. He's going to come in His glory anyway. So it's my state that's going to decide whether I'm going to receive Him with glory and love or I'm going to be scared. I'm going to tell the, the mountains to come over me and I'm going to have a miserable time from that time on. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he said, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Do not fear. This is, again, shows God's glory, God's love, and God's mercy. When St. John saw him, this is the same St. John who used to put his, you know, rest his head on his, you know, chest. And he, he felt that he loved Christ so much. Now, it's the same St. John, when he saw, saw God in his glory, he fell down like dead. Okay. But at the same time, despite that state, Christ laid his right hand upon him and raised him up. In the Gregorian liturgy, what do we say? And you put your hand on me. And gave me the gifts of speech. So, even even if our state, when we see God, is like dead people. Because again, our we, we, we get our life from God. God is one who gives us life. So when St. John looked at him in his glory that shows the difference between even St. John in his you know the best place or best situation he was in he was in the spirit again when he saw God he could not take that and it had to be God's mercy and God's grace that gives him an ability to perceive that and to grow into that and be able to stand up in front of God and take more than and we again keep going back to this and say that we daily, you know, there every week come and receive communion and get receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ inside us. And unfortunately, a lot of the people go out as if it was nothing and treat that as if it's just, you know, just a normal habit. Again, I am the first and the last, another proof of Christ equal to the Father, and He is the same God of the Old Testament. Verse 18, And the living one, I became dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Amen. I have the keys of hell and death. I am the living one. This is Yahweh. This is God who lives of his own. He doesn't need anybody else to raise him up. He doesn't need any other source to make him alive. He is living of his own. I became dead. That's the incarnation, the cross. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. The resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is forever. It's not like Lazarus and like, you know, Jairus' daughter and everybody else who was raised and died again. No, Christ's resurrection is for forever. Here, St. John, like everybody, all the saints, you know, St. Paul and everyone, in, when they're writing and when they hear these things, they cannot hold themselves except from praying 
and praising God and saying Amen. You know, you find that a lot in St. Paul's writing. When he talks and describes God, he can't control himself except to continue, you know, after describing God, praying and, you know, and praising God and, you know, saying things like Amen, who is glorified forever and things of that nature. So that's the people who love God. Whenever they talk about Him, they cannot control themselves from praying and praising Him. I have the keys of hell for hell and death. It's not Satan. It's not Azrael. It's not any of these people. It's only God who has the keys for heaven and for hell. And He lets whoever He wants. <coughs> Excuse me. He, he lets whoever He decides into either place. Of course, he's merciful, he's kind, and he's just. It's not at random. Okay, verse 19. We're almost done with chapter 1. Again, a commandment to write the things that he sees. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be after this. So, these are the things in the present of St. John's writing. Things that are going to be in the future, all the way to the end of times. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So, this tells us also something else. God is saying from the beginning that the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. Whatever He wants to explain... Whatever he wants to make known, he will. In other parts, we're going to see, telling St. John, do not try these things. Okay? So, we shouldn't go and say, that, you know, the Antichrist, the 666, is so and so and so. If God wanted to do that, he would have said that. Very easily. We can't say that Armageddon is going to be in this way, shape and form, and, you know, these armies are going to come in from this direction, and these armies are going to come in, and... You know, describe that at like, you know, a lot of our friends, you know, do that on the internet and in their TV shows and so on. If God wanted to say what Armageddon is going to be and how it's going to happen, he would have said that. As we can see, he said from the beginning, the seven lampstands and the seven, you know, stars. And then he explained what that is. Okay. So we shouldn't jump into conclusions. Yes. What we said the seven spirits of God, this represents the Holy Spirit in its full action. Number seven is a complete number. The whole creation was created in seven days, right? and we're still in the seventh day. It hasn't ended yet. Which, uh, which verse? Isaiah where? Isaiah 11, 2. Well, actually, it starts from verse 1. Mm-hmm. It says, There shall come forth a rod from uh, the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the, the, spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then to start mentioning the seven spirits, it says, The Spirit of wisdom, and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, 
and might, the spread of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. But who is he describing here? Jesus. Yes. And uh, when Jesus received the Holy Spirit in the baptism, he received it on our behalf. Right. Right. Okay. So uh, I need to go back and check on this particular one. But uh, the number seven, are we talking about number seven or talking about the Spirit of God and, you know, which which one we're talking about? Well, both. I'm thinking when he refers to the seven spirits. I'm thinking he probably refers to Christ. But if you can't if you can't do the scriptures, then I'm the seven. Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear. Let's, let's wait on Isaiah a little bit. Let's wait on Isaiah a little bit. It requires uh, some digging there. Yeah. But uh, if you go to the, you know, wisdom, uh, again, it's the same thing. Uh, talks about uh, seven pillars that wisdom built itself, you know, temple, you know, seven pillars and so on. Number seven just represents a complete thing, the full thing. The week is seven days. You know, if you look at the whole year and try to divide it, the basic unit is week, seven days, seven days. Right? So God intentionally meant number seven to be the basic for all things. So number seven is being used in Revelation in particular to stand for a complete thing. Seven churches, seven seals, seven, you know, uh, gamet, Seven, you know, horse, everything seven, 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 which means a complete number. Okay. So it's the same thing. The seven spirits, which is the, you know, presents the Holy Spirit with its full action, complete action in all of humanity. Right. Now let's take a break. You know, five minutes, and you guys can try the cookies. <laughs>